Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our consideration is the Gospel reading, Luke chapter 10, that was just read. Words that remain in the mind are merely speculation. Words that are confined to the heart are merely private and personal theories. And such secret thoughts carry no consequences. They have no effect except upon one's own soul. As long as words remain buried in the mind, they demand no commitment. A man can think whatever he pleases. He can speculate about whatever he wants without fear of judgment or criticism or retribution. However, when those words proceed from the lips, when they flow from the pen, they are no longer theory. Now they are confession. Words that sound forth from the tongue and take form on the page are no longer private or secret. Now they are public for all to hear and read. And words that are heard and read are also judged. To think carries no consequences, but to speak or to write takes some courage. The one who opens his mouth or takes up the pen must be willing to bear criticism and scorn and judgment. In other words, he must be ready to back up his words with his life. Today we heard a text from St. Luke the Evangelist. Indeed, it is sometimes speculated that St. Luke may have been among the 72 appointed by our Lord. Yet this text shows us that for St. Luke, the gospel is not merely a matter of theory or speculation, but of confession. The gospel is not to be confined to St. Luke's mind. It is to sound forth from his tongue. It is to flow from his pen. In St. Luke, the gospel of Christ is not a private opinion, but a public proclamation for all to hear and to read. And words that are heard and read are also judged and criticized, rejected, or believed. Indeed, I think the courage and commitment of St. Luke is perhaps a little difficult for us to appreciate. In our day, books, of course, abound. Anyone can enter Barnes & Noble and see a warehouse full of the thoughts and speculation and theories of men trying to appeal to an audience and earn a living. Indeed, perhaps the right of free speech has even made words far too cheap and easy to come by. However, for St. Luke the Evangelist, to speak or to take up the pen demands his willingness to lay down his own life. Indeed, he may have even written his gospel with full expectation of judgment or retribution or the real possibility of persecution. And so why does St. Luke take up the pen? Why preach if such an act exposes you to conflict and judgment? Dear friends, St. Luke preaches the gospel not because he chooses to do so, but quite simply because he must do so. St. Luke preaches not by personal decision, but by divine necessity. The apostles and prophets were compelled to open up their mouths, not by some external power or legal constraint. Rather, they were compelled by the Holy Spirit 
who inspired them from the inside out. Indeed, St. Peter writes, No prophecy came by the will of man, but men preaching from God were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they could not be anything other than what God had created them to be. God had made them to be His preachers, His prophets, His apostles, His evangelists. Indeed, the prophet Jeremiah, we heard about him in the Old Testament reading. He tells at one point of his, of, of his prophetic experience. He laments at one point that the word of God that has been put into his mouth has brought him nothing but reproach and derision. And so Jeremiah decides to try and remain silent. I will not mention him, says the prophet, or speak any more in his name. And yet his personal will to try and remain silent could not withstand the inner force compelling him to speak. There is a burning fire shut up in my bones, says the prophet. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. These prophets, apostles, and evangelists could not refrain from preaching any more than they could refrain from breathing. A man may indeed hold his breath by an act of will for a moment, but soon the necessity of his own nature will quickly overwhelm him. And so prophets must speak, because God refuses to be silent. He demands that his word be heard. And what is true for our Lord's prophets and apostles and evangelists is certainly also true or his pastors. Today we rejoice, of course, in the ordination of Adam Michael Debner as pastor of Christ Church. It is certainly a great honor and privilege for me to preach on this occasion. I first met Adam, I think as he remembers, even before he began his studies at the seminary. I met him on a recruiting trip to Concordia, Ann Arbor, and Remember on that occasion sharing a meal with Adam and some of his classmates. My memory of Adam is that he was, let's just say, very enthusiastic. (laughs) Enthusiastic about theology, enthusiastic about the pastoral vocation. In fact, he was maybe a little too enthusiastic. It does cause me some worry. Did he know what he was getting into? Is he like the seed that springs up quickly only to be choked out by trials and tribulations. However, today, now after four years of seminary, even a vicarage in this congregation, Adam is still here. He's persevered. And I have to say, even his enthusiasm seems to have remained. Indeed, Adam has been an exemplary student. He has shown a true joy for the study of Scripture, a thoughtful mind, a cheerful disposition, a kind heart, a true love for the church. Surely his God-given virtues, the church will come to know soon enough. Now, it would be perhaps nice for the seminary or even myself as a professor to take some credit for Adam's character, his formation. However, I think it is simply more truthful to say that the seminary has merely been the setting where God does His own work 
of forming pastors and shaping them. Indeed, in the Old Testament reading for today, the Word of God comes to Jeremiah saying, before I even formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so I think it is with you, Adam. Throughout his life, God has been creating and shaping and molding Adam to be his pastor. Indeed, to use a phrase from St. Irenaeus, a pastor of the second century, I think we can see in Adam's life the fingerprints of God's own hands. And how appropriate I think this is. This simple yet profound truth that pastors are not simply the product of human choice, but of divine formation. This is the truth we confess this day in the rite of ordination. Historically, ordination has always been considered akin to a marriage. Indeed, looking at marriage from the outside as some kind of unbiased observer, it may indeed appear that marriage is merely a matter of human choice. A man chooses one woman as one among many equals, or a woman chooses this one man among many possibilities. And so we even quote the old proverb, there are many fish in the sea. However, of course, speaking from the inside, as one who is a husband who has experienced marriage, I maintain that the essence of marriage is not human choice at all, but the mystery of divine love and His gracious providence. True love does not simply see its beloved as one option among many. Indeed, I would hate to see the reaction inspired by some kind of anniversary card that contained such a sentiment. Can you imagine? Honey, I love you as one among many options. Rather, it is the nature of love to recognize its beloved as the only one, the only possibility. Love calls the man and the woman to recognize each other, not as the one they have chosen, but finally as the one God has given to them. Love calls the man to believe that his wife has been created by God for him. Surely this is what that first Adam meant when he declares Eve to be bone of his own bones, flesh of his own flesh. This is the truth proclaimed in every wedding service. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Dear friends, in this rite of ordination, we are witnessing a marriage. We rejoice now in the joining together of pastor and church, not by simply human will or legal contract, but by God's gracious providence. Today, God knits pastor and church together in one communion and fellowship, flesh of each other's flesh, bone of each other's bones. Today, the church rejoices to recognize this man as her pastor. He is not the one we have chosen, but certainly the one God has now given. And so pastors are not chosen, but formed by God. This simple and profound truth is expressed in the gospel reading for this day. The Lord appointed 70 others 
and sent them before his face, and he said to them, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. The 72 must go before Jesus. They must preach, not because they choose to do so, but because Christ now sends them. In this sending, there is a divine necessity imposed upon these disciples. They must now open their mouths. They are inspired to now preach the kingdom of heaven. In this regard, the disciples are simply imitators of Christ himself. In his first sermon in Nazareth, Jesus expressed the compulsion to preach that lives within him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach, to proclaim the year of the Lord's hospitality. Jesus must preach. He is compelled to open up His mouth because His Father refuses to be silent. Preaching is not a career choice for our Lord. It's not something he simply agrees to do for a season. Rather, Christ must preach because this quite simply is who he is. He is the word of the Father by whom all things were made. The eternal word could not remain hidden in the depths of the Father's mind. The word could not be confined to the depths of God's being. If the world is to be created, then the divine word must sound forth. If the darkness is to be overcome, then the Father must call forth the light. If the sick are to be healed, the sinner forgiven, the dead raised, then the word must become flesh and and dwell among us. And so Jesus must preach. He is compelled to break the silence that left humanity in a long bondage to the grave. Indeed, think about it, it was at least in part Adam's silence in the beginning that surrendered humanity to the will of the serpent. It was the silence of Reuben that handed Joseph over to a cruel slavery. It was the silence of the apostles that passively condemned Jesus to a solitary suffering. Indeed, the devil's lies, his sin, his death, his darkness need God to remain silent if they are to prevail. But of course, it is the comfort of the gospel that God will not be silent. Jesus comes to open his mouth and preach. And when he preaches, he makes himself vulnerable to the cross. When the words proceed from Jesus' mouth, he now surrenders himself to judgment, to criticism, to persecution, and cross. Lambs among wolves. Indeed, when he preaches the kingdom, Jesus offers himself as the Lamb of God in the midst of wolves. And surely what is true for Jesus is true for his apostles, his evangelists, and even his pastors. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. As Christ is sent by his Father, so the apostles and evangelists were sent by Christ, and so a pastor is sent into our midst. The pastoral office must not merely be a career choice for Adam. It is now his very identity. It is the office for which he was born. It is the responsibility 
for which he was knit together in his own mother's womb. This, in fact, is our happy confession on this day of ordination. Adam is now called to take his place in the pulpit, at the baptismal font, and before the altar. And above all else, he is called to open up his mouth and preach. Indeed, he must preach, because God refuses to be silent in the face of sin, death, and all the darkness that now surrounds us. From the beginning, God has placed His Word in the mouths of His servants. When Moses speaks, plagues afflict Egypt, the Red Sea is divided, Pharaoh's armies are drowned in the depths of the sea. When Elijah opens his mouth, fire comes down from heaven, the widow's only son is raised from the dead. When Ezekiel preaches, bones come together, flesh is created, the breath of life fills the lungs of decaying men. And of course, when Jesus opens his mouth, the devil is cast out, sin is forgiven, the dead are raised to everlasting life. As Jesus himself declares, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so it is for this reason that we rejoice this day in the gift of a pastor. For in this ordination, we learn that Christ, the perfect Adam, refused to be silent. He refuses to surrender us to our own advices. He will not hand us over to the will of the serpent. When our pastors stand in the pulpit, when they take their, when they take their place at the baptismal font, at the altar, we must give thanks that Christ Himself continues to open His mouth and preach. That Christ continues to be present among us. That He continues to come and enlighten the darkness. Forgive the sinner. Feed the hungry. And finally raise the dead. Adam, it has, of course, been my privilege to have you as my student. But an especially greater honor this day to finally recognize you as pastor. To Christ be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.